Hello, dear friends. This is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable, and it is time for Let's Talk About Jesus right here on our website, right in the middle of Holy Week as we approach Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we want to begin to prepare our hearts for two things, to celebrate, amen, the resurrection and to commemorate his death on the cross. I want to make a statement as we begin this this Bible study today, the cross and resurrection are essential to our salvation. Without the cross, our sin debt could not be paid. Without the resurrection to prove the sacrifice was accepted by God, the cross would have absolutely no value. The Apostle Paul said without the resurrection, even though the cross had occurred, that the our preaching is vain, our faith is in vain, we are the dead are not raised and we are still in our sins. Friend, it's crucial that the cross of Christ occurred and it's crucial that the resurrection occurred to verify that the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on that cross became the necessary sacrifice for our atonement, our salvation. Praise God. Well, let's get into this message today. And I want to talk to you about the supernatural confirmations today that occurred uh, through the cross and the, and the resurrection. So let me uh, title this again, The Cross and the Resurrection, Supernatural Confirmation. Just going to read some scriptures here and then comment on them real quickly. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 23, 44 and 45. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Matthew 27, 51 through 53. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Amen. Hallelujah. And in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four, it said, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Imagine Roman soldiers who participated in the crucifixion are now proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And they were shaken when they saw the earthquake and those things that were done. Number one, the sun stopped shining. There was darkness in the middle of the day. Suffice it to say that the sun in the sky was snuffed out for three hours while the Son of God became our sin bearer. This is the first sign that tells us that a payment has been made. Our sin, in order to be forgiven, had to be judged. And the terrifying darkness signified that our sins and all the sins of mankind from Adam to the end of the world were being punished in him, that whosoever 
would trust in him may come and drink from the river of life. This is not universalism. We're not automatically saved because the the sin debt has been paid by Christ. But everyone can be saved. There's not a person in this listening audience in the whole world today who cannot be saved because Jesus has already paid the price for you to be saved. We must come to Christ and we must repent of our sins and by faith receive Christ as our Savior. But when we do, know that the sin debt was paid by Jesus on the cross. The crucifixion is not about what they, the Jews of that day, did to Christ. It's not about what they, the Romans, did to Christ. It's not about what they, the disciples who were disloyal to him, did to Christ. It's about what we, it's about us, it's about our sins he has taken on himself. It is our punishment. It is his in that he's enduring so that we might be forgiven. Listen, in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, it said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And in verse 6, it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray, but God hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We uh, used to love to sing a song based on the, the Charles Wesley hymn, Amazing Love. And it says, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm going to read once again from Matthew 27, 45 and 46. It says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Story is told that Martin Luther studied this text one day. He just sat and stared at the words for hours. He said nothing and wrote nothing as he silently pondered this anguished expression. Suddenly he stood up and exclaimed, God forsaken by God, how can it be? And he penned those words, amazing love, Charles Wesley did. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Charles Spurgeon also struggled with this cry from the cross when he wrote, here you may look as into a vast abyss. And though you strain your eyes and gaze till sight fails you, yet you perceive no bottom. It is measureless, unfathomable, inconceivable. This anguish of the Savior on your behalf and mine is no more to be measured and weighed than the sin which needed it or the love which endured it. We will adore where we cannot comprehend. Hallelujah. Oh, friend of mine, my goal in this teaching is not for us to comprehend everything, but instead to fall on our faces in humble adoration. Allow this shout from the cross 
to startle, stagger, and even surprise you. There are mysteries in this yell from the Lord that I certainly cannot fully explain. One thing I can declare, Jesus was paying our sin debt. And his cry from the cross was not as someone supported and comforted by God. This was as a man dying without any of the consolation that's promised every child of God when that time comes in our life. He died alone as a sinner, paying a sin debt, having the judgment literally downloaded onto him so that we could be forgiven. This cry came after a three-hour period of darkness. Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock a.m. and uttered his first saying sometime between then and 12 noon. The Bible tells us that from noon until 3 p.m., darkness came over all the land. The final uh, four shouts are spoken in quick succession as he speaks from the cross. While he's speaking from the cross, God is speaking through supernatural signs, supernatural wonders. And it begins with this darkness over all the land. And this begins a chain reaction of several cataclysmic events. Matthew 27, 51 and 52, verse 51, 52, tells us that after the seventh shout from the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the earth shook, rocks broke apart, and the tombs broke open. This was a supernatural darkness to begin with. Scholars say it was darkness that you could feel, a terrible darkness that shook even battle-hardened soldiers. At high noon, a time when it was least expected, the world became dark. Or as Spurgeon said, and I quote, it was midnight at midday. Three hours of light are now followed by three hours of silent darkness that you can feel as the light of the world becomes the payment for the darkness and depravity of sin. We know this wasn't a sandstorm because it came over all the land. It also had to be something more than an eclipse because an eclipse doesn't last three hours, and it was the Passover when the moon was at its farthest distance from the sun. This was a supernatural event where the Son of God, caused the sun in the sky to be extinguished. Our sin debt was being paid. Man was murdering his maker. The lamb was being sacrificed. All of my sin and yours was being downloaded onto Jesus. Friend, darkness is almost always connected with the judgment of God for sin. Listen carefully. It was midnight at midday because Jesus became legally guilty of our sin and was therefore judged accordingly. And it was during these 180 minutes that Jesus became our sin payment. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21, it said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus took the full brunt of God's righteous judgment, paying the price by becoming a curse for us. 
Christ redeemed us, it says in Galatians 3.13, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Isaiah 53, 6 said, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everything we've done and all the sins that have ever been committed were placed on Jesus. And this darkness, this physical darkness in the land was symbolic of Christ's separation from the Father who is light. John Stott writes, Our sins blotted out the sunshine of the Father's face. You know, the Bible said in the blessing over Israel and extended to us through Christ that God would bless us and keep us and make His face to shine upon us. God the Father was not able to look upon Jesus when He took our sin. Not that He had sinned, but that He took our sin. He died as a man forsaken of God. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hallelujah. Mystery of mysteries and majesty of majesties. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Friend, who am I that my creator, my God, would take on flesh and die for? The scripture is very clear to wit. God was in Jesus Christ on the cross reconciling the world unto himself. The second person of the Godhead, co-equal with God, very God, is hanging on the cross so that he could take our punishment and our sins could be forgiven. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, how, can you say it with me today? The great songwriter of old just wrote that phrase. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Listen, God had to not look upon His Son in that condition. Not because of all the suffering He was going through, but all the sin that He was bearing. Habakkuk 1 and 13 says it this way, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. God's purity demands that He turn away from wrongdoing. Listen, friend, the scourging, the beating, the crucifixion is what our sin did to Jesus Christ, and it's what Christ did in order to forgive our sin. Listen, Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Hallelujah. Little girl, after a Good Friday message, prayed, Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. And thank you that we didn't have to watch. Oh, what a pure, pure heart that says, I don't think I could stand to see you. In that kind of anguish. And a, a child can in no way comprehend the suffering that he was going through. But she comprehended enough to say, I don't want to see someone so wonderful, so sweet, so loving, so kind, so pure in that condition. Listen, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one says something else supernatural occurred. The earth shook and the rocks split. The earth shook 
and the rocks rent. The prophet Nahum asks a question, finds its answer on Calvary's cross in Nahum 1 and verse 6. He says, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. You see, Jesus took the indignation, anger, and wrath of God for us. Jesus received what rightfully belonged to you and me, to us, so that we can receive that which we don't deserve. And that's forgiveness of sin, wonderful pardon for sin, and eternal life. The rock splitting open before the presence of the Lord hearkens back to Nahum 1 and 6. And let me just put it in context, 5 and 6. It says, The mountains quake before Him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at His presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand His indignation? Who can endure His fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before Him. God's wrath was being poured out on His Son, and the entirety of creation was shaken and rocked. The rocks shook, the earth shook, and the rocks split. Hardest, firmest part of the world was shaken when Christ gave up His Spirit. The earthquake would have reminded the Jewish people of what happened when God gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, 17 and 18. It said, Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain, and Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. The quake at Calvary signified the demands of the law were fulfilled. Now, now, God accepts the sacrifice because the sin debt is paid in full and the veil in the temple is torn in two. In Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, it's rent, it says, from the top to the bottom. This mighty curtain was designed to prevent access to God because it was torn in two. The veil of secrecy has been lifted and God's glory is now fully manifest to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. The barrier has been broken and the doctrine of divine distance has been replaced by the ordinance of open access. In addition, the old order has ended. The curtain was not just opened, but ripped in two, indicating its total destruction. The temple and the sacrificial system are no longer needed. And this sign tells us that the final sacrifice has been offered. And thank God it has also been accepted. This separating curtain, about 60 foot long, they tell us. 30 foot high and about 2 inches thick. It took 300 priests, scholars tell us, to install it. Blue, purple, and scarlet, made of yarn and fine linen. It was designed to withstand the strains and tears or, or, and rips of any kind of movement. This barrier between a fallen man and a holy God is ripped in two, top to bottom, ripped from above 
as one would tear a piece of paper. It's what we will do if someone paid in full our mortgage on our home or our, our car. Listen, God ripped it from the top to the bottom because Jesus paid our sin debt. An unholy man can approach a holy God, be pardoned, be sanctified, and be brought into His presence. Hallelujah. And the tombs broke open, and many saints arose, proving that death has been conquered. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two and 53 said, And the graves were open. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose, came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. The tombs broke open. Commentators have various views about this mysterious event, but at the very minimum, it signifies that death has been defeated. I like what Matthew Henry says about this event. He said, Jesus Christ, by defying, by dying, conquered, disarmed, and disabled death. These saints that arose were the present trophies of the victory of Christ's cross over the powers of death which he thus made a show of openly. Because Jesus has the power over death, we have the guarantee that you and I, dear friend, that we as Christians will live again. It's as if the tombs could not hold their occupants in light of what was happening on the cross. The curse of death from Genesis 3 is reversed. And by the death and resurrection of Jesus... This is but the precursor to what will take place in the lives, even after death, of all believers that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Friend of mine, His victory, therefore, is our victory. His his resurrection, His conquering of death and rising again. It said He was actually the first fruits of many brethren. Praise God. He's the first human. Even though He was God, He was God in flesh, incarnate. He was the first human to ever live and die and be resurrected to never die again, to come forth in a glorified, eternal body. (laughs) Hallelujah. He's not the first human that was ever resurrected. There are resurrections in the Old Testament and resurrections in the New Testament of the dead. But everyone who was raised from the dead died again, because it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Oh, but when Jesus rose again, hallelujah, He rose in a glorified body never to die again and became the first fruits of them that slept. The first man to ever die, be buried, rise again, never to die again. Amen. Charles Wesley wrote one of my favorite hymns and called it, And Can It Be? It contains deep theology and a wonderful comprehension of the cross. 
You know, there's a lot of songs out today, and there's some good praise songs that are just just thanking Jesus and adoring Jesus, and and even repetitious in some of the wording. Of course, there's some songs that you can't even so vague you can't even understand what message is trying to be conveyed. And I'm sure if we can't get it, God has a real problem with it. But let me tell you, Amen. There are songs that have great, great true theology. Charles Wesley wrote one, and it's called, And Can It Be? I'm just going to read you a portion of it. It says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me, that thou, my God, should die for me. Oh, dear friend of mine today, what we're celebrating this holy week, we're commemorating the death of Jesus on the cross where our sin debt was paid in full. And we're celebrating as Resurrection morning dawns. We're celebrating, amen, the victory that has been confirmed supernaturally by God himself when he raised Jesus from the dead. And the scripture says, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he shall also quicken. That means make alive your mortal body and not just give life back to our body but to give us the very life of Christ now and when the trumpet sounds when Jesus comes friend of mine I have that life in me today resurrection life and you have that life in you if you're a Christian today you're not a Christian today, the Bible said you were dead, as we were, all were, in trespasses and sins. We have no consciousness of God, and we have no way of react, relating to Him and with Him. But when you come to Jesus, and you repent of your sin and you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are reconciled to God. And God accepts you not just as a sinner forgiven, but as a member of His royal family. We now call Him Abba, Father. Holy Spirit bears witness of the truth of that within us. And He now calls us His very sons and His very daughters. Hallelujah. And friend, if you don't know Him today, come to Christ this holy, holy week and celebrate with Christians all over the world as a Christian this Resurrection Sunday morning. 